0: You know, some really fascinating conversation happens this time of year. Um, I share as much of it as I can with you. But I was watching Daisy Jones in the sixth for the second time in as many weeks the other day. And it occurred to me, this is a lot like a band. We're kind of in the rehearsal period right now. But in the next uh, 55 days, we have week one of fall Saturdays upon us. I don't really care what the calendar says when they're playing college football. It's fall. We are jam-packed. We are high atop a... Very rainy, frequently rainy, downtown Nashville, Tennessee, balances of power. Where does it lie? Kind of easy to figure out in some conferences, A little bit more difficult to figure out in other conferences. But on the surface, that's one thing, ladies and gentlemen, what happens when we remove the first layer of topsoil? You get some grub worms. And you also get some teams that are underachieving that could quickly rise back to the surface. Well, I'm talking about it tonight, and I'm talking about it on both sides of the SEC. I'm talking about Chip Kelly tonight. What you think about him, a very different tone today than when we talked about Dabo or when we talked about Jimbo Fisher. Disagreement amongst you guys, but kind of a more nuanced kind of disagreement. We've got what ifs. We've got bold predictions. We're putting the bright white hot spotlight on FSU tonight. All that plus a few other odds and ends. Happy to have you with us. We're just college football year round. There is, there is no MLB draft coverage on the show tonight, although it is on a monitor out in the hallway if you're so interested. They're watching us in Chandler, Arizona, Humble, Texas, the H is silent, Phoenix City, Alabama, Lynn, Massachusetts. We got ideas for the Pate State Store coming in left and right. The reason I asked you guys is, for example, I never would have thought to sell flags. I never would have thought... That you guys are out there tailgating by the tens of thousands and you fly those flags. And I should have thought about it, but I wouldn't have thought about it. But now you have suggested it to me. So we're looking at putting flags in the store. Whatever you guys want, within reason, of course. Uh, you know, the, the Pate State branded toe rings. I don't know if we're going to be able to pull it off, but I think it's a good idea nonetheless. Jesse's got one, but it's one of one. He didn't make enough for everyone else. Let's dive into the show tonight. We did this a couple years ago. Direct Colin and I, we were just sitting around one day chatting. I think Colin was playing with his yo-yo. Uh, no immunity, he literally was. And he said, hey, balance of power, man. Like, when's Tennessee ever going to be back? That's what he asked me. And I said, say no more, Colin. Let's do an entire show on it. So that's what we're doing to lead the show off tonight. SEC West balance of power. You know, sometimes you get results like we got last year. And we had LSU kind of come out of nowhere to win the – they won the division – I don't, think this is, um, I don't think this is something that should just be left to history. You know, you remember last year. We all saw it. We all watched what happened. What an outcome, though. And it was a preseason, by the way, this time last year, where LSU's win total was like in the, what, Jesse, the six or seven win range. And then all of a sudden, what we call the recalibration of expectation happened, which just means people figured out they were going to be a lot better than the preseason prediction. And so then they adjusted their expectation, which is unfair because then you go and you lose to a and you get drugged by Georgia, and all of a sudden people speak ill of Brian Kelly at the end of the year when they should be saying, Brian Kelly just won how many games in a season where he was barely expected to make a bowl by Vegas? Anyway, so I say all that to say they won the division last year. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means just that. It means LSU's got an SEC Western Division pennant to, to hang in the facility wherever they want to. That doesn't mean that they're the top program in the West. And that's what this is kind of about. It's not about team. Team is just a one-year snapshot of program. Remember, kids, a program as we define it on this show is kind of a three, four-ish year rolling snapshot of where you are. Obviously, that gets changed wholesale when you make a coaching change. So where is the SEC West right now? Let me be clear. Or as Corrine Brown would have said once upon a time on the House floor, let me be clear There is no doubt where this division still runs through. It still runs through Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Last year was last year. We saw what happened. A couple of close losses by Alabama. It's happened before. Believe it or not, revisionist history notwithstanding, Saban doesn't always win the West. They don't always win the SEC. It also doesn't mean things have completely come off the rails. Now, it does feel a little different right now, doesn't it? And that's where I get a lot of you guys going back and forth with me. It's my most fun activity of what casuals would call the offseason. And that is I have a lot more time to converse with you. You see me do it on Twitter. I do it a ton in the YouTube comments. And uh, the thing I keep hearing about Alabama is, well, yeah, granted, Josh, they've lost the West before, but it just feels different, doesn't it? How so? Well, you continue, it feels different because they hired Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele. Normally, Nick Saban has world-class coordinators. True. I'll even grant you that. It's not like I was sitting here pounding my fist on this table in December saying, you know what Bama's missing? They're missing, oh, Kevin Steele and who on offense? Tommy Reese. In fact, I would challenge Alabama fans. If I were to tell you guys in November, or I asked you in November, what do you think about Kevin Steele? What do you think about Tommy Reese? You probably would have trashed one or both of them. You certainly never would have said, oh, they're Bama material built by Bama, baby. And then all of a sudden Saban hires them and you have, to, you have to make good with the idea that, man, maybe they are the right guys for the job, respectively. I've told you my theory is I think Saban could have hired 30 different guys. And if the team is wired the right way mentally, they'll be fine because they have the best ingredients in the country with which to cook. But I do also understand when you come back at me and say, okay, yeah, but that's a bunch of unknown and uh, kind of looked wobbly last year. Defenses looked wobbly. And the overall structure of the team, you keep mentioning mentally, it looks a little wobbly. I get it. However, you're judging Alabama on the Bama standard. I'm judging them against everyone else. And there is no one who has come fractionally close to putting up the extended track record that Nick Saban has and Alabama has. So it would take several quote unquote down years for me to change my mind on that. By the way, their down years still saw them win 10 games in the regular season. So there's that. I also look around the SEC West. You know, this division has won the SEC 12 of the last 15 years. But do you remember how that split goes? Bama's won seven of them. LSU's won three. Auburn's won three. That's it. There is no Arkansas in there. There is no Texas A&M in there. So how does this shake out behind Alabama? This is where my friends in Baton Rouge are sitting there. They're just eyes wide open. They're waiting because I know you guys. And you probably wouldn't argue that your program has surpassed Alabama quite yet, but you expect to be mentioned right behind Alabama. And you know what? You should, because there you are. You're right behind Alabama. Now, ironically, I think that is so open and shut a case, I don't have a lot to say about LSU, only because I don't have doubts about LSU. Spoken my piece on Brian Kelly, spoke my piece when he was hired. I haven't changed my tune a second. Some of the rest of the country has. Um, I haven't, so I got what I thought I would get with Brian Kelly. I'm getting, and, and will continue to get, at least my prediction is what I expect to get with LSU. They're going to be up there every year. And if there is an extended period of time where someone would challenge Alabama in the divisional structure, it would be them. It's kind of a moot point because we got one more season of divisions and then divisions are scrapped. So this is the last time we'll really have this kind of preseason conversation. Brian Kelly's not the key figure here, only because I think we've got him figured out on this show. And I think if you don't already have him figured out, you soon will. He's going to be there every year. LSU will be there every year. The key picture, well, not the key picture. The key figures, ironically enough, in the SEC West second and third tier has nothing to do with what's happening in Baton Rouge. It's what's happening in College Station, Texas, and it's what's happening in Auburn, Alabama. Hugh Freeze and Jimbo Fisher are the most important figures in the SEC West. I know Saban's programs at number one. I know Brian Kelly and LSU are going to be a mainstay. I have no clue what I'm going to get from A&M. I don't know yet what to expect from Hugh Freeze and Auburn. The reason I mention those two is because history has shown us Auburn has the ability to win this thing. Auburn has the ability to play for national championships when they have things right over there. History has not shown us Texas A&M does that, but logic tells us Texas A&M should be able to do that because there is no resource you need to have to do those sorts of things that A&M hasn't had. They've just been a woefully underachieving program for decades. That's not my fault. That's just the way it is, Bruce Hornsby. And so now you look now moving forward and um, I think either one of them could pull it off. But the thing about it is, and the reason it's so shrouded in mystery especially with Texas A&M is because Texas A&M has shown regression over the past two years. I mean, Auburn fired a coach. They got a brand new coach in there. And the early off the field returns when it comes to talent acquisition have been good for Jimbo or not for Jimbo Fisher, for Hugh Freeze and Auburn. Uh, but, you know, they'll tee it up this fall and the Hugh Freeze era will start there. The Jimbo Fisher era is over half a decade in at Texas A&M and things have gotten worse over the past few years. So they made the old offensive coordinator adjustment. They've got plenty of talent out there. We know all that. I mean, that's, that's like beating a dead horse by July. Everyone said that a million times. But the balance of power will largely be determined by whether those moves pay off. And the balance of power in the West will largely be determined by whether Hugh Freeze kind of, boom, just like pops an immediate eight-win season on you out of nowhere, nine-win season. If it's ever going to happen, it happens at Auburn. Not the University of Auburn, Auburn University. It happens down there. The next group to me, when it comes to the balance of power in the SEC West, drop my pen. Just fumbling things. I think behind those, you've got Arkansas, you got Ole Miss. I almost put Mississippi State in a different compartment. I'll talk about them in a second. Arkansas and Ole Miss, until things change, I always think of as being in a tier where I am not going to expect them to win the division or haven't, division's about to go away. Uh, but they certainly could impact who does and who doesn't. Now, Transfer Portal, we're still too young in that era to know how those programs will look a decade in to that era. Likewise with NIL. I know it feels like we're into it now, but we're only a few years into it. Someone's profile when it comes to Portal combined with NIL is going to evolve like 70 or 80% from what it is now. We're still that early on in the process. And so is that Arkansas? is that Ole Miss? I'll tell you, I think Ole Miss, I've told you this before, I think Ole Miss is kind of at the forefront of a lot of what the the second and third tier programs out there are finding things or ways to do in the NIL. I do believe that about them. So that's where I think those are. Mississippi State, very interesting case study. They're coming off their best year that they've had in quite a while. They've got a returning quarterback that everyone should be talking about in Rodgers, but hardly anyone does talk about because they, they just think of him as a product of the Mike Leach offense, which is OK, because a lot of his numeric success has to do with being associated with Mike Leach. But now, because of what happened there, Arnett takes over as head coach, and they're going to have SEC media days up here in a couple of weeks. I wish I could put a prop bet on how many times that guy's going to be asked, well, what changes now that you're a defensive coach? What's the offense going to look like now? I'll let him answer that for you. They got a pretty good team over there. You know, there are a lot of teams out there with bigger brand names that have far lower season win totals than the Mississippi State Bulldogs. What they're going to be moving forward, though, I think it's impossible to know because you've got a guy that's been thrust into being an SEC head coach that was not expected by anyone to be an SEC head coach in 2023. That's not to knock the guy's ability. It, it's, it's just obvious. And so... That balance of power is still Bama at the top. It's it's LSU right behind them. It didn't take them long to reclaim that spot. LSU could absolutely over time challenge for that top spot. And that also coincides with wondering, you know, whether Bama is going to return to an elite status this year. But that Auburn and Texas A&M layer of the cake, that's going to be the most fascinating thing to watch in the West this year, in the one year that we have the West left. All right, now we're going to shift it, Colin. Here we go. SEC East balance of power. Not too hard to figure out at the top, but that's not where the fun is. It's pretty easy. You know, my sister could come up here. I don't invite it, but my sister could come up here and tell you, SEC East, I think Georgia's pretty well running that thing. Yeah, they are. And there's a reason, by the way, a couple of years ago, I called that the best job in college football. I got, I got roasted for it. Jesse, you weren't here yet. Colin was, I think it was 2020. And we did a segment on what the best jobs in college football were. I said, "Well, Georgia's the best job in college football," and it's like, no matter how much I explained what my rationale was, all people wanted to do is compare trophy cases. I didn't say they had the best trophy case. I I didn't say that their coaches had the best resume in history. I didn't say any of that. I said, when you take the list of what you think are the critical factors to winning at the highest level, there is no program that checks more of those boxes more thoroughly. There is no program that lacks for those things less across the board than the University of Georgia. It's always It's been that way for a long time. I won't say it's always been that way. It's been that way for a long time. Uh, the reason I waited until 2020 to say that is because when Smart got there, that wasn't the best job in college football. It had the potential to be, and then he pulled some levers and he knocked some walls down there. Sometimes, literally, uh, when it comes to construction, and he made that into the best job in college football. Well, anyway, I got I got drugged by a bunch of people saying that, and I don't hear from them anymore. Is my point because everything that was always capable of being realized by the right head coach at the University of Georgia has now been realized. And so anyone looking around now, like, is anyone, is anyone noticing what kind of machine that he's built there? It's not just a Kirby Smart thing. It's a Kirby Smart and Georgia thing. Kirby Smart wouldn't have Missouri, all due respect, rolling to the degree that Georgia is right now. But there are no guarantees. We're sitting here right now, and back in my home state, a lot of the conversation is very, very fanatical, as it should be. I mean, you you guys took forever to win one. Then you won them back-to-back. So it should be fanatical. Uh, but I was doing Atlanta radio a couple of weeks ago, and I I got asked about where Georgia goes from here. Now, the insinuation was they've reached, they've reached like a cruising altitude. Can they stay there? Well, I said, I don't think Georgia's as good as they could be, which sounds ludicrous because they've won back-to-back titles. I know that. Understanding the margins of this sport – Understanding what a bounce of a ball means, understanding what an injury here or an injury there means. uh, These are things that that coaching staff is well aware of. These are things that football minded people are well aware of. There are scenarios in both of those years where you change one or two things. Georgia doesn't win the title. They're no different a team. They're no different a program. But people would be talking about them completely different today. Well, the point is they did win the titles and they do have the trophies. But that doesn't change that the overall caliber of play was the overall caliber of play. They haven't had a Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback there. They haven't had overly dynamic wide receiver play there. They've had great defensive play there. But my point is, I guarantee you, if we had Kirby Smart in studio and he had to tell us the truth, he could pick 37 different compartments in his program and tell you exactly where he thinks they could get better. Well, I said that, and people, people hear that and they say, well, no, because you can't get better than winning a title. Yes, your level of play can get better. It may result in winning titles by 40 or 50 every year. Well, they just did that, actually. It's a bad example. But you get my point. Like the teams that, the programs that are able to operate to an, a standard of excellence, they, they just they, they lay waste to everything because they're not playing to the competition. That right there is the key difference over the past 12 months, in the level of play in Athens and the level of play in Tuscaloosa. What you got in Athens last year was a program that did not play to competition. They just played to a standard. That has been learned time and time again from us watching Alabama. Kirby Smart witnessed it time and time again and was a participant in it at Alabama. Last year, the reason Bama looked different and the reason they had so many close games, even in their wins, is because of that. That mentality slipped back to playing to the competition. When you're constantly aware of the scoreboard instead of just playing to a standard, then that's, that's just kind of how it ends up. You, you keep making sure, all right, let's just do just enough to get ahead of them. Oh, okay, we're good, we won. Well, you, you put yourself in a position though where one little slip up here there could have cost you the game. And in two cases, it did. Georgia didn't put themselves in that position. Georgia was only at risk of losing. Aside from that Missouri game, Georgia was at risk of losing when they played a really, really good team called Ohio State. Georgia otherwise did not slip into that position. Well, that's mentality. That stuff's really hard to wire into an organization. Kirby Smart's done it. So the other thing he's got there, Kirby Smart, is he's got trust. If you've ever led, if you've ever been over an operation, if you've ever been responsible for the outcome of an overall operation, you know what I'm about to say is true the hardest thing to do is relinquish control over parts of your operation. Because when you're responsible for the outcome, you want to have a death grip on like every part of it. Finding people that are good enough to be trusted, to carry out critical aspects of that operation is the hardest thing to do. And the younger you are, the newer you are, the harder it is to trust folks. He, Kirby Smart being he, he's figured out in Athens who to trust, and what to delegate, and you can tell. They're just areas they've gotten 5% better here, 7% better there. It's just increments. It's margins. It's fractions. But it makes the difference in winning and losing. It makes the difference in winning a recruiting battle and finishing second. Uh, The the small, just the overall sum of these incremental gains over the course of a season, it adds up. There's the Cole Kubelik text, right on time. George is on the top. We don't need to worry about that in the East. I want to know who's behind them. You want to know who's behind them, and is it going to change in the foreseeable future? The spot behind Georgia in the East has been wide open, it seems like, forever. No one has really wanted to grab it, but it's not because of a lack of effort. See, for a, for a little while, I was worried that Georgia would be to the SEC East as Clemson has been to the ACC. You got one top dog, and then they start off a string of dominance. And then no one bothers to try and catch up. That's what the ACC has been for quite a while, until very recently, behind Clemson. Well, South Carolina takes football too seriously to let that happen. Florida takes football too seriously. Tennessee takes football too seriously. And the reason I mention them is not because they're all nipping at Georgia's heels, but it hasn't been for a lack of trying. It hasn't been for a lack of investment. They have poured money into hiring coaches, firing coaches, hiring new coaches, building facilities. They're trying at least. Now, it's hard. It's really, really hard to do, immunity, but at least they're trying. Well, with Tennessee, they're probably in the best position out of any of these programs. They're good signs in multiple places. Kentucky had a really good year two years ago. Uh, Kentucky in the portal, something I'm going to talk about in a second. South Carolina's overachieved a couple of years in a row. But Tennessee last year, you can't ignore that, even if you wanted to. They went from 3-7 and seven to 7-6 seven and six to 11-2 and two last year beat Alabama. I think it's really important. Not all those wins are equal. I know, I know some of the more casual minded out there lie to you and tell you a win's a win. Well, I was there in Neyland Stadium last year when they beat Alabama. Didn't feel like a normal win to me. They didn't treat it like a normal win. You do not have goalposts swimming at the bottom of the river after a normal win. All due respect to the other competition out there. You get a taste for beating the big boys. You get a taste for doing something you hadn't done in a decade and a half. There are kids almost old enough to drive in the state of Tennessee that weren't alive the last time they beat Alabama. That's a big deal to pull off that early in your coaching tenure. And then you also add on to that the fact they just landed a top 10 class, so recruiting has been continually improving as well. It's a pivotal year for Tennessee. Not to prove that they can do it. They just proved that, but that was a team. Now we start to zoom out and ask, is this a program thing? Is that what we should expect? because we got teams out there that we can every three or four years expect to pop a random double digit win season on you. Far fewer are the programs that can consistently average nine and three quarter to 10 wins a year. Is Tennessee going to be one of those? That's what this year will go a long way in helping decide for us. And then behind them, and I don't know how far necessarily, because it's still in kind of a state of flux, South Carolina's done it two years in a row. South Carolina's got one of the hardest schedules every year in the country, and so it's very important to calibrate your judgment post-season when you're looking at what they did. Two years in a row, as you well know, they have overachieved relative to the Vegas over-under. That new offensive coordinator move that Shane Beamer made, Dowell Logans from Arkansas, one of the most important moves in the assistant coaching world, that was made by any school. Because again, of South Carolina being a top 20 program when they're right anyway, but also who they play every year. You got that. You also, speaking of top 20, you've got Shane Beamer's crew over there ascending into being a top 20 power in recruiting. And that wasn't the case when he got there. Not close. Florida is going to be better than their five and a half win total this year. I just have to blindly believe that. It almost takes zooming out a little bit on them. The closer you get, you know, and the more you realize or remember the painful memories of last year, the more negative you may be about Florida. I think sometimes it helps to have a completely refreshed, cleansed palate, and you come back to the table. And here's how simple it should be with Florida. It should be as simple as, wait, they're, they're recruiting top 20 or better every year, right? They've portaled top 20 or better every year, right? multiple years in a row, right? Yeah. It's Florida, right? Yeah. That's it. That, that Billy Napier is the head coach. Billy Napier is not 25 years old, a rookie who, who got handed the job through means of nepotism and has no clue what he's doing. He's actually won before as a head coach, right? He's got proven production, right? Yes, 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 yes. They should be a lot better than that. There is no excuse for that wind total to be down there. Now, the Florida didn't set the wind total. Vegas did. It's up to them to fly past that over under win total. And then you start resurrecting a program. And that's what anyone who's a fan of the sport outside of Miami and Tallahassee, et cetera, Anyone who's just a fan of the sport is probably looking and saying the same thing I am. I look at Kentucky. Kentucky preseason win totals, they've got the third highest in the East. I got excoriated the other night because I didn't mention Kentucky in one of the bold prediction segments. So I'm going to mention them now. Kentucky historically has been a program that every few years is capable of a special thing. They're not a program in football that's going to fly at the nine win per year range on average. However, we're going to talk about a team later in the show that I think is kind of morphing as the sport morphs. I think the transfer portal era will come to be very kind to Kentucky because of what the transfer portal is compared to regular recruiting. In regular recruiting, a lot of the trappings matter. A lot of the bells and whistles matter. In portal, when you're getting a guy out of it that's played three years of college ball, it is so down to business. It's so transactional. And in some cases, it benefits a program like Kentucky, a coach like Mark Stoops, who can really just sit down in front of you and say, look, we're not going to have a cake with your name on it. We're not going to have a Ferrari parked out front that you can take a picture with. If you want to do that, probably not the place for you. But you did that three years ago when you were originally committed to wherever you committed to. Now it's time to get down to business. You got a couple of years of college ball left. You need to maximize it. We're the place that's proven. We We can develop you. I can put you in position to play against the best in the country. I can put you in a position to be coached by some of the best in the country. What do you think? For a a guy like Devin Leary, that works. And in the future, I think as the the NIL portion of it sort of calibrates and everyone gets their bearings, I think Kentucky is going to be sort of a low-key destination for transfer portal players who once upon a time wouldn't have looked in Kentucky – but the second time around will because the second time around different things matter than the first time around. So that's the balance of power as I see it right now in the respective corners of the SEC. I, I know they'll think that I'm picking on them because they always do. I'm not. It's egregious that Florida's win total is that low. It's insane. I, I really, I hope they're right, you know, because their fan base thinks it's crazy. And I hope they're right. I hope they just like go full people's elbow on the five and a half. I hope that's over already by the time they get to November. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. We, and by we, I mean myself and management at Academy Sports and Outdoors, we personally opened a brand new store in Peoria and Bloomington, Illinois, this past week. And I told you guys Thursday, I want evidence that you went there and you delivered it by the truckload. I did not, even I didn't know. Exactly what Academy Sports and Outdoors carried. So I try and mention these obscure products that they carry sometimes to just illustrate the depth of product that they have when you go in there. Everybody knows they've got the traditional sporting goods equipment. Everybody knows you can get a hockey net there, a basketball goal, a baseball bat. Did you know you can get wedding rings there? I don't mean the actual ring. I mean sort of the like silicone rubber ring that you want to wear when you still want to display your affection for your significant other, but you may be kayaking or, or you may be weightlifting and you don't want to wear the real thing in there. Academy has it. One of you hit me up. listen to how beautiful this is. This is how I know this marriage is going to last. First off, these people got married in the spring, so they avoided the fall death trap. Secondly, they bought wedding rings at Academy. And thirdly, while they were in the checkout line, they made sure to confirm to me they grabbed some great Big League Chew. I think grape is the best Big League Chew flavor. We can disagree reasonably minded on that, but what a trip. Like, where else are you going to go to get silicone wedding rings and Big League Chew? And maybe, I don't know, a football while you're at it, Academy Sports and Outdoors. And then you narrow it down even further. Out of the places you could get those things... Which one brings our show to you free of charge? Academy Sports and Outdoors and nobody else. It's it's like that movie, um, what's that movie? I can't remember. Anyway, there's a movie out there where someone just keeps on saying, God bless America and no place else. God bless Academy. And other places, but not quite as much as Academy. That's that's at least a tagline that they could try out for this fall. It probably won't pass the focus group, but I encourage them to try it anyway. Academy Sports and Outdoors, if you can't get there in person, chances are they're about to build a store in your backyard. But until then, academy.com is where you want to go. Wedding rings, grills, big league chew, etc. What if this, what if that? It's one of our favorite games on the show to play. The what if game. Let me take a sip from the chalice. There have been rumors, by the way, that there will be chalice plural of chalice, there will be chalice available in the Pate State store. That is not true. At this time, I can confirm that chalice will not be for sale. They are only available to be won. And if you want to know how to win one, just stick around. I'll let you know. What ifs? This fall, what if it happens? Well, we got four real good ones tonight. And the first is a nightmare scenario for our friends in South Florida. It has to do with Mario Cristobal, it has to do with Miami. Chad said, what if year two from Mario Cristobal has little improvement from year one? Is he still going to be the head coach at the end of the year? Chad, I would love for you to have just given me a record. So they went five and seven last year. If you're saying they have little to no improvement, let's just say six and six. At least we made a bowl. So six and six, if Miami goes six and six, is Mario Cristobal the head coach? Well, Let me answer the second part. Yeah, he'll still be the head coach. I got very little doubt he'll be retained as the head coach. Could there be staff turnover? Yeah, of course. That stuff happens all the time anyway. So he'd still be the head coach there outside of scandal happening off the field. Top 10 portal, top 10 recruiting in the 2023 cycle. Talent acquisition's been there. Uh, I know the detractors would be saying, well, yeah, but Mario's always recruited well. Look at this, though, yet again, underachieving on the field. Told you, told you. I can go ahead and print that on a fortune cookie and break it open in December. If this happens, that's what that fortune cookie's going to say. I got a hard time seeing it happen though, Chad. Now the over under seven and a half wins. So it's well within the realm of possibility. I got a hard time seeing them not show some improvement. Now I told you when I was down there a couple of weeks ago, and I'll tell you again, 2024 is really the year they got circled. That doesn't mean they're just overlooking 2023. Far from that. But 2024 is when they feel like they'll just be fully off the ground with their version of that Miami roster. But in the meantime, what'd they just do? They brought in two new coordinators. Both of them hail from Louisiana, ironically. You talk about rural Louisiana being plugged into the Miami nightlife scene. What a time for Lance Guidry down there, Shannon Dawson, what a time. What a time for the locals trying to understand what they're saying. Good guys, though. Love both of those guys. I got a hard time seeing them not improve off five and seven. And by improve, I mean, l- let's get up into that eight-win range. How about that? Don't have an easy schedule, though. That's what stands in the way of it, potentially. There are some teams like Louisville. We're about to talk about them later in the show. Louisville has just a masterclass in how to draw a favorable schedule in the ACC. Miami does not have that. I think outside of themselves, they play four of the five other top teams in terms of odds in the ACC this fall. Not an excuse we're baking in, uh, but we're not asking them to win 11 games either, so. If it were to happen, Chad, yes, I still think he'd keep his job. Next up, let's go to the great Big 10. This would revolutionize the sport, Adam. Adam said, what if Michigan wins the national championship? Adam, it would be a massive deal for Michigan. I think it'd be just as big a deal for the Big 10. There has not been a Big 10 team win a national championship, aside from Ohio State, this millennium. Last time it was you guys. It was 1997. So the Big Ten inside its own walls is thought of as a multi-team conference. I'm telling you in Austin, Texas, or in Fresno, California, or in Albany, Georgia, when those folks look at the Big Ten, for a while, they came to think of Ohio State and then a bunch of randos. And then all of a sudden, Jim Harbaugh and Michigan started making noise the last two years. But even then, While you guys internally think, all right, Big Ten's turning a corner in Fresno and Austin and Albany, they're just saying, oh, so uh, even Ohio State can't win the national title anymore because they watched you crash and burn Michigan twice in the playoffs, so they're not scared of you either. So if Michigan were to win the national title this year, aside from what it does for the legacy of Jim Harbaugh, think about what it does for the Big Ten because in reality, Ohio State's still a primetime player. But if you all of a sudden introduced a new one to the mix, that instead of just being a playoff contender, it's now a perennial title contender. And you're going into a new world for the Big Ten where you're adding UCLA and USC, who knows what else happens. You got those new media rights deals, that big new TV deal. It would happen just in the nick of time from a marketing perspective alone for the Big Ten. As for Jim Harbaugh, we talked about him the other day. I did the whole, what is your opinion of Jim Harbaugh thing. He would transform himself. This would be his Mark Richt moment. Mark Richt in 2012 was, it turns out, as close as he was ever going to get to transforming himself from being thought of as a really good college football coach to being great on top of the mountain, mentioned with the best of the best, because they came up about five or six yards short in an SEC championship game against Alabama. They didn't go on and have the opportunity to splatter Notre Dame in 2012 like they would have done, like Alabama did. And Rick never came close again. Harbaugh's come close a couple of times. He's gotten to the playoff. They just couldn't get to the title game. If he finally gets there, it would be his Berlin Wall moment. It would be the one that Rick swung at and missed, and he swings at it, Jim Harbaugh, and hits it. All of a sudden, college football would talk about him totally differently. History would talk about him totally differently. That all of a sudden goes from a guy that can't get over the hump. In one fell swoop, they start saying things like, man, how many other coaches have coached in the Super Bowl and won a national championship game? And you would look at these people and say, aren't you the same one who told me they were supposed to fire him two and a half years ago? No, no, that wasn't me. Yes, it was. But it's okay. We've all been wrong a time or two. A lot of folks were wrong in this scenario. If this happens, a lot of folks would have been wrong. Oh, by the way, Stats and Info tells me if they just make the playoff this year, if Michigan just makes the playoff this year, Jim Harbaugh will be one of only four head coaches with back-to-back-to-back playoff appearances. And that would be alongside Lincoln Riley, Nick Saban, and Dabo Swinney. Kirby Smart at that point may have pulled it off as well but the impact on michigan the impact on the big 10 we also have to ask ourselves in this what if if michigan wins the national title it probably means they beat ohio state not definitely but probably that's a whole new what if what what if that happens well what if what if michigan wins the title what happened to ohio state i don't know i do maybe we'll find out i don't know the next one takes us to tuscaloosa alabama Tyler asked, what if Bama's quarterback battle goes all season? Well, Tyler, this is not going to happen. Jesse watched me write that on a piece of paper and he said, well, surely you're not gonna say that. What are you actually gonna say? No, Jesse, you call me on my bluff and I'll throw my cards down every time. It's not gonna happen. The quarterback battle is not gonna go all season long. They're going to decide on a top two early in fall camp if they haven't already, which is the other big question, Whoopster those two going to be? And then they'll find themselves a starter and they'll probably stick with him. And if he's not good enough and if he's he not prolific enough through the air, they'll just run the ball 60% of the time because they got the horses and the offensive line to do it. What you're not going to see is you're not going to see Nick Saban allow himself to step to a podium every Monday morning in Tuscaloosa, weeks one through 12, and be asked, all right, what are we getting this week at quarterback? That's just not going to happen. It's not practical. That's not how major programs operate ones that are far worse and unstable than Alabama don't operate that way. Nick Saban's not going to allow his program to operate that way. Now, that's not me telling you Bryce Young will just be reincarnated in one of these guys magically out of thin air. He won't. They don't have a Bryce Young caliber quarterback there. Uh, They're probably not going to need one if the team is wired the right way from the neck up, which is what we've talked about a lot. And also, if they don't feel like they can push the ball consistently down the field through the air, that doesn't mean, contrary to semi-recent popular belief, they have to shut the program down. It just means that they have to play a different style of football. That's it. Alabama can win every game on their schedule running the ball the way they used to. Uh, We all know also the way they used to play coincided with playing a little bit different caliber defense. So when we ask these questions about quarterback, it's not in a vacuum whether it's Ty Simpson or Milrow or, or even Butner, that alone's not telling me the whole story. Is this secondary going to play the way that I think they could? Is their depth on the defensive front going to be more quality than it has been? The players are there. It just has to perform. I do not think you're going to see a 12-week quarterback battle, though. Lastly, this is almost like a soap opera storyline for the what-ifs here. Tate said, what if Brent Venables gets a playoff win before Lincoln Riley. I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go with this. Now, I know where Tate's going, and I know where Oklahoma fans would go. So first off, let's just address that. If Lincoln Riley ends up making the playoff again and losing, or making it two years in a row and losing, and he messes around, and he lets Oklahoma, led by Brent Venables, get in that thing and win a playoff game before he does, They'd have to shut down Norman for a couple of days. I don't know how you handle the public school system there. I don't know how private business operates. And I'm not here to tell you your business. I'm just saying it would be a big deal for those folks. It would be a big deal. It would be like being cheated on. And then you pull up to a red light and there she is waiting for the bus. That's exactly what it would be. No offense to bus riders. I've been one a time or two in my life. Some of my best friends in life I met on buses. But I'm saying, if you see the one who left you in dire straits, and you see the one you're with helping helping you to thrive, it does a little something. It, it's a little pick me up to the soul. And the more sinister minded you are you know, the the Eddie Raddos of the world. For those out in that portion of the country, you'll know who I'm talking about. The more sinister in mind that you are, the more it would mean. As for me, I would sit here and go, all right, well, that means Oklahoma is off and running and they're a good program. And Lincoln Riley and USC probably haven't fallen off in this scenario. It probably just means their defense still can't stop molasses in December and he hasn't made the proper changes to his staff. That's probably what that means. On the other hand, it also means that Brent Venables has finally lived up to his reputation as a defensive-minded coach whose defense last year woefully underachieved, or maybe expectations were set too high, one or the other. I say finally, like he's been there five years. He's been there one year. Uh, So that's what it would mean for me, what it would mean for the folks in Norman. Totally different story. Thank you, Chad. I think it was Chad. I had a good question for you today. Well, I thought it was good, and then you you validated that. Oh, man, we got a lot of folks watching live. Thank you so much. Hey, since a few more of you than normal are watching live, could you do me a favor? It involves peer pressure, but it's the right time to apply it. We need to start peer pressuring our mutual friends that are not subscribed to the channel, and you need to tell them the following things. Subscribe to the channel And then when they say, oh, I will, tell them, no, 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 no. There's nothing stopping you. It's free. This isn't even one of those things where when you click subscribe, you get blown up with spam mail. Literally nothing happens. There is no string attached. It just helps us. And when you look at this nice, bright, colorful production, and you look at us able to go on the road, and yet we never charge a dime for it, it's just those those little minimum givebacks that we require subscribing to the channel. I wish it wasn't important because I feel stupid asking for it every week, but it is important. So if it takes a stupid man, I will be that stupid man to ask for it. That hurt to say more than I thought it would. But anyway, thank you in advance. I know our audience, and if our audience took over College Game Day to the point where they banned signs behind the stage, I think you guys can get us to 200,000 subs before kickoff. I asked you earlier today, what's your opinion of Chip Kelly? Chip Kelly, you still think of him as being at Oregon, don't you? It's tough. That memory framework thing works in very mysterious ways. This was like the anti-Jimbo Fisher segment. This is the anti-Dabo Swinney segment. When I asked you your opinion on Jimbo and Dabo, you guys went all different sorts of ways. Some of you loved them. Some of you couldn't stand them. You either had tactical reasons or you had personal reasons. With Chip Kelly, there was pretty broad agreement. I think like 80% of you agreed, hey, he in many ways helped to reshape this game a little over a decade ago. He's consistently been ahead of the curve and not just stuff that you see, nutrition, uh, practice habits, sort of the neck up aspect of college football. A lot of the stuff that pretty much every program does now. Chip Kelly was kind of at the forefront of that. He tried a lot of it in the NFL and not surprisingly, professional athletes push back on it a little bit more than... College athletes can. Uh, also, there are, there, there's pretty broad agreement There, m- there may be some aspects of himself personally that limit uh, his scalability. And that is a way too convoluted way of saying he doesn't like to recruit as much as other folks. And some of you think that'll stop him from ever winning a national championship. How's that? Why make it complicated when it can just be dumbed down? The disagreement about Chip Kelly, when it came to you guys going back and forth and me participating with you, was a lot more nuanced than Jimbo. It was a lot more nuanced than Lincoln Riley or Nick, or um, not Nick Saban, we hadn't done him, but Dabo Swinney. Pretty much everyone looked at Chip Kelly and still does as a phenomenal play caller. And I was talking to some folks behind the scenes in the industry today to kind of pick their brain, get their viewpoint of it. There's not a person worth their salt out there that questions him as an offensive mind, even today. Like some folks say, the game has passed him by. Really? Uh, Well, that scoreboard is not aware of that. I saw him in person twice last year. They're fine, and he's fine there. Staffing a defense is a completely different issue, and if there's something that's going to hold him back even more so maybe than just raw talent acquisition, their defense hasn't been good enough in his time at UCLA, I still think it may not be good enough, but they just went and hired a new defensive coordinator from the Ravens, about 33 years old. I think Jesse's never called plays, so I'm not sure what to expect there. But um, when it comes to strengths and weaknesses, everyone's got them. Some are more pronounced than others. But if you told me, hey, you can adjust one thing about Chip Kelly to make him like a slam dunk championship caliber head coach year in and year out it actually wouldn't start at recruiting for me for reasons I'm about to talk about in a second. I just wish that I could press a button and give Chip Kelly a top 15 defensive support staff. If I could do that, that guy would be the favorite in the Pac-12 this year. I know some of you don't believe that, but I'm right about it. Because they, they got a good enough quarterback coming in the door. That's as deep a team as he's had at UCLA. If they had a top 15, don't even need top 3 or 4. Top 15, top 20-ish defensive staff, totally different ball game. Everyone on the West Coast knows it. But there are others amongst you who went the personal route. Some of you, some of you just said, "Oh, Chip Kelly, yeah, he's a good play caller. Yeah, he's had some success. Great teams at Oregon. Oh, I kind of rubs me the wrong way. I don't know. There's just something about him." And I know what you're talking about. And I think it boils down to a couple of things. Number 1, Chip Kelly really at his core does not care enough about what other folks think about him to ever address that. Chip Kelly's got a really personable side of him, you don't normally see it publicly, but he's got that. He just doesn't care what other people think enough to try and showcase it. Like Chip Kelly does not get on the phone at night with his agent or a publicist and say, "All right, all right, what's what's my cue rating today?" What do I need to do image-wise? Which shows do I need to go on? Which appearances do I need to make? H- have, I, have I put enough on social media today? What are people saying about me? Those aren't conversations he's having. He just doesn't care enough. If he did care, uh, Chip Kelly could just overhaul his public image over the span of 12 months. He just doesn't care about it enough. And also, I think some of you have also seen him be kind of short with the media. And I think you've seen him be pretty dry. And you've taken that to mean, gotta be a jerk. Here's an exercise I wish we could do. I wish I could take 50 of you. Just random drawing, whoever wants to participate. I want to take 50 of you. And I want you to do what you do for a living. So I used FedEx the other day. We'll use UPS today. You drive a UPS route in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. You don't have to come be a head coach. Just drive your route. Then I want to take a football coach. I want to take Chip Kelly, actually. And I want you to have a press conference at the end of the day. And I want you to explain to him why you went down Commerce Street instead of just getting on 24 and looping around. And I want you to look at him and smile, even though he knows nothing about what he's talking about. And you drive that same route every day, and you know right down to the second how precision-based that timing can be and how to squeeze every second out of that morning and afternoon You have forgotten 10 times more about that route than he'll ever know, but he's there questioning you, knowing nothing. His power is he happens to have a microphone in his hand. How would you look at him? And then ask yourself, if you did it every day for multiple years, how would you look at him? And the answer is, you'd look at Chip Kelly the exact same way he looks at the media. Scratch that. You would be far bigger a jerk to Chip Kelly than he's ever been to the media. And that goes for pretty much everyone in pretty much every line of work, especially when you achieve at a high level, and then people ask you questions who relatively speaking know nothing about what you're doing. How would you act? You'd look exactly like Chip Kelly, or worse is my point. It would be the most fun exercise because I think a lot of folks would walk away from it saying, I get it now. I get why these guys are the way they are. This is not to demonize media. That's my business, that's my industry. Um, you'll notice when I ask coaches questions, they sound a lot different than the normal questions they get. I know my lane. I know where those guys could make me look like a fool if they wanted to. I do a good enough job making myself look like that. I don't need them to do it for me. But those are really the only two areas. Like if Chip Kelly just wanted to, I think Chip Kelly could make himself more affable and outgoing and fun loving, or at least he could portray that image. Some folks can fake it and make it. And uh, I just don't think he cares about that. But I think as for his future at UCLA, I think he landed in a really good spot. And I think he's there at a very fortuitous moment. Remember, when he came back to the college game, it wasn't just UCLA. Florida was in the mix too. Florida wanted Chip Kelly and Chip Kelly had his choice and he chose UCLA. And a lot of people looked at it, not knowing any better and said, what is he doing? And Chip Kelly looked at it and said, if he went to Florida, what would he be doing? Like Chip Kelly is not a guy who loves to live on the road recruiting. Chip Kelly is not a guy who is necessarily fond of of backslapping with a dozen donors per day. It's just not his it's not his vibe. And that's okay. And if it's not his vibe, UCLA is the job for him. But when people look at UCLA, or for that matter, a number of jobs on the West Coast, you look at building a permanently lower ceiling on top of your head, than is possible to reach a national championship. With good reason. That's what history has taught us. You're not gonna win a national championship in football at UCLA. Well, I'm not necessarily saying something is about to change that cataclysmically to all of a sudden make that possible. I am saying... Chip Kelly's in the right place at the right time at UCLA because, as I've said for a while, I feel like the sport's kind of coming to him a little bit. Uh, Kelly's not about to have UCLA landing top five in high school recruiting for obvious reasons. But I'll tell you what he can do. Same thing I said about Stoops at Kentucky a little while ago. What they can do the second time around, and they've been successful at it, they can go the second time around through the portal, and they can say, okay, two years ago, we weren't even in your top five. Now you've gotten that out of your system And you don't need to take a photo shoot with a bunch of $300,000 cars. And we don't need to put your name on a cake and put it in your dorm room. And you don't need the bells and whistles. You're down to business now. You're a multi-year college football player. You understand what you want. You understand how pivotal development is. You want a 40-year lifestyle instead of a four-year lifestyle. We're the place to develop you. And you're also gonna get a world-class degree from UCLA. What do you say? Uh, That approach right there, is nuts and bolts. It's bare bones, but that's going to work a whole lot more in portal than it is in traditional recruiting. The second thing you need to keep in mind is those three words NIL, because that's kind of also right up his alley and right up UCLA's alley. And when you combine that with obviously a lot of opportunity you can have in Southern California, all of a sudden, even in the high school ranks, you all of a sudden land the Dante Moores of the world. And it's it's no small thing to pitch yourself as the fact that I'm Chip Kelly, here are the guys I have coached and developed in the past, but also you can you can pick and choose your spots and go toe to toe with some of the big boys in NIL. I mean that kid was committed to Oregon. Oregon is a big player in NIL and UCLA went and got him. Just to give you an idea of what they are capable of. So, I think the portal cuts through a lot of what has formerly been a low ceiling on a Chip Kelly team at a UCLA. Now, I don't know how high they can fly. I just think, um, I think their ceiling is being raised a little bit. It was really fun going back and forth about Chip Kelly today. I didn't think we were going to get that many, that many different bits of feedback on him. They're watching us in New Haven, Connecticut tonight. And we thank you for that. Toledo, Ohio, Prairie Grove, Arkansas, Sarnia. Ontario, Canada. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's bold prediction time. What do you believe about this season that you would bet your own money on? (sighs) The first one is well above a nine on the boldness scale. Producer Jesse and I went back and forth feverishly today on what the boldness rating should be on this. So listen to what John's predicting. Not surprisingly, hailing from College Station, but he says he's a Razorback, not an Aggie. John says Texas A&M is going to win the national championship at plus 6,000 odds. All the talent, the Petrino offense, chip on their shoulder, traditional power, new quarterback, there's a path. It should be noted that John sent this to us May 14th. Well, today it is July 9th, which is good because it illustrates what's happened in the odds market. When John sent that, A&M was plus 6,000 to win the national title. You know what they are now? they're plus 2,800. One of the biggest movers in the national championship odds market. For those of you who don't know what that means, that means a lot of folks have bet on Texas A&M to win the national title. That's what it means. Now they're up there tied for 11th. They've got the same odds as Notre Dame. They've got better odds than Tennessee to win the national championship. Uh, Lost in the commotion of last year and lost in the commotion of Bobby Petrino coming in and all of that is the fact that they're quietly returning the number two defense in S&P+. I shouldn't even say returning. Bill Connolly has them ranked as the number two defense in preseason S&P+. And here's another good stat from Producer Jesse. You take the top 100 recruits A&M's ever signed in the history of their program, all 900 years. Out of the top 100 kids they've ever signed, do you know 26 of them are on their current roster? Over a quarter of the top 100 players signed in the history of that program are on campus right now. And guys, that's after a bunch of them left this past spring and summer. Having said that, it'd be tough for me to see A&M winning the national championship. So I'm putting a 9.25 on this. Yeah, I feel good about it. 9.25. Next up, this one's kind of out of nowhere, but you need to be paying attention to it. Anybody who talks ACC right now, they're going Clemson and Florida State, right? Maybe some Miami sprinkled in. Noel from Fort Myers said, my bold prediction for this season is Louisville wins 10 games in Jeff Brom's first year as head coach there. This is not all that bold to me. This is a 7.25 on the boldness scale. Now, I know some of you out there don't exactly have the ACC helmet grid schedule next to you. So you may not be familiar with Louisville's schedule. Well, let me tell you what it has. It has no Florida State. It has no Clemson. It has no North Carolina. They get Notre Dame at home. There is no back-to-back road stretch on this schedule. It is as favorable a draw as you could possibly have gotten in the ACC. Also, Louisville, uh, sneaky good roster. They brought in Jack Plummer, quarterback. And that's a guy who came in from Cal but he's familiar with Brahms' offense. And last year at Cal, 21-9, to 9, TD to INT ratio. had a 63% completion percentage. Pretty good player. Doesn't have to learn the system. Familiar with the system. I just, I'm not deterred by the churn at head coach. Most Louisville fans are happier with their head coaching situation now than they were. So Louisville winning 10 games this year. That wouldn't necessarily mean they're one of the best teams in the country, you're not always what your record says you are in college football. A lot of that has to do with schedule. This would be the perfect case study of that. So they win 10 games this year. It would not stun me. I would not be on the floor. I'm going to put a 7.25 on the boldness scale for that. Next up, this gets a little bolder. Major from College Park, Maryland says, Maryland's finally going to take a jump. They're going to beat Michigan or Ohio State this season. Timeout. There's my first time out of the show. Take a sip from the chalice earmuffs kids. I need those of you who don't already follow me on social to go ahead and follow me at late kick Josh. I'm even on threads, but I want you to go to Twitter and I want you to look at what I put out after dark last night. I had to wait till the sun went down for this one. It's a little graphic. There is nature's just wild. So I saw Tom Fornelli put it out there and then I just stole it from him. I don't know what to say. I love stealing things. It's just something I do. I stopped caring a long time ago. So I look at the video and it's so bizarre. And this is gonna tie back into Maryland, I promise you. There is a jaguar, one of the most fierce animals on the planet, scared of nothing. There's a jaguar sitting there in the jungle. There are these two tortoises, Tordi, the plural of tortoise, and they're just moseying along and they walk right past the jaguar And the jaguar lets him pass. And then the tortoise go behind the jaguar. And you know what they did? Unspeakable things. And the male tortoise had his mouth wide open while he was doing it. Total YOLO style. When you say you only live once, they fully embraced it that afternoon. And so God bless them. I took it as a sign. I probably went and bet a few dollars on Maryland right after that. And lo and behold, we got Maryland in the show tonight. So Maryland's going to beat either Ohio State or Michigan. I normally would call this an 8.75, but in honor of the Tordai and the video that we saw with the Jaguar, I'm bumping it down to an 8. Maybe it'll happen. You know, they played Michigan really close last year. They lost by 7 to Michigan. They lost by 13 to Ohio State. That's the kind of good news. Uh, the bad news is they're 1-18 against these teams over the past 19 times they've played. However... Mike Loxley has Maryland coming off the best season they've had in quite a while. They've got Talia Tagovailoa back. He was out at Elite 11, too. I forgot to tell you guys about that. What if they were in the Big Ten West? They just get lost in the East. That's their problem. That's why we're doing away with divisions. If Maryland was in the West, a lot of folks would be favoring them to win the thing. I was, I was, well, Jesse was looking at S&P Plus today earlier and it's probably the most reputable preseason rating system out there. Until the JP poll comes out, of course. And uh, the JP poll heavily factors that in too, I won't lie. You know where Maryland is? You know where they stack up nationally? Maryland's right there with Louisville. They're right there with Miami, Texas Tech, NC State. It's just that they get lost because no one expects them to beat Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. And uh, again, that's why divisions are one of the many tools of the devil. They're 40th in preseason S&P Plus, 40th. They replace four offensive linemen. That's the tough part. Uh, they do get Maryland right after Maryland plays Penn State and Maryland's got to go to Maryland or, or, or Michigan has got to go to Maryland. And that's the second stretch for Michigan of a back-to-back road stretch. So that's the one you probably circle. Probably. We'll see. I'm going to put an eight on that one. Eight on the boldness scale. And lastly, this one's the highest boldness rating I've given so far. Harris from Clearwater, Florida. A team will sweep all the positional offensive awards. So quarterback award, Davey O'Brien, I think. Uh, running back is the Doak Walker award. Wide receivers, the Bolitnikoff award. Uh, only one team's done this since producer Jesse has been alive. And that was 2020 Alabama. Najee, because they ran him a ton, won the running back award. You had Mac Jones win the quarterback. You had Devonte Smith win wide receiver. They won the Joe Moore award, offensive line for good measure. Um think it's the best offense I've seen this generation. Outside of that, no one's pulled this off. I don't think it's going to happen this year. I was looking at the teams and every one of them that has a quarterback that could do it, you look at running back and they're they're not going to feature a running back enough. That's the thing that gets in the way. It's not even a bad thing. It's just a thing. Like That Alabama team just happened to have Najee Harris on it, who was indestructible and a multi-purpose threat out of the backfield. I mean, he was a huge threat to catch the ball. So he got enough yardage and was used enough that he did his thing while Devontae Smith was doing his thing. It just, it takes such a perfect storm to do that. And I don't think that any offense out there is going to have that set up the way Alabama did. So I'm making that a 9.75. That's, that's tough, man. And also you get voter resentment sometimes where even if you do technically have the best QB running back and wide receiver trio in America, some loser out there is going to vote against you just to spite you. They do it in the Heisman all the time. Why wouldn't they do it in other awards? Couldn't be me. You know, we need our own award season. That's what we need. We got all kinds of awards. We got a Floyd of supremacy behind us here. New name for Floyd of Rosedale. Maybe we'll look into that. Herb Street does his own awards show. Why not? We already stole Fornelli's video. Let's, let's steal Herbstreet's concept too. Last thing I wanted to do tonight, I'm going to clap before I do it. We've been spotlighting teams. We've been giving you our own, basically, a preview magazine page for a team. Multiple questions, best position group, breakout player schedule thoughts. Well, it's Florida State's time tonight. Our buddies over at Knowles 24-7 helped us out a lot. Multi-thread participation in this on the message board today. First question for Florida State this year, how much improvement are we going to get on this defense? There were some metrics they were okay in last year, like they were 20th in points per game allowed. That's good enough to win. But they were 75th in rush yards allowed per game. That's not the end all be all, rush yardage. But if you look at those three losses they had, uh, they averaged giving up 170 per game on the ground in those three losses back to back to back, I think they were. Defensive line being the caliber it should be this year should vault those numbers up a pretty great deal. So I think you'll have good improvement. How much? How quantum is the leap, I guess, is the question. Uh, We can't have what's happening on the screen right now. Just Will Shipley, chunk runs. We can't be having that. Next question. Speaking of those big games, can they peak in big games? For all the preseason hype around this team, which I believe in, there is that pesky little one and six stat. Norvell's one and six against ranked teams at Florida State. I'm not one who's going to sit here and say what has been will be. Uh, There's a lot about that team that has been that's not going to be this point moving forward. And so maybe that's one of them. But that just means you got to get it done. Uh, The detractor, you know, the doubter, the hater in the room can validly say, well, yeah, Florida State ended up winning more games than everyone thought, but who did they really beat? It's one of the most overused terms in football. Well, who did they beat? The teams they beat. That's who they beat. Like, what are you talking about? Teams get upset all the time. So why wouldn't I give credit for doing what you're supposed to do? Well, last year, they had that three-game stretch in the middle of the season, and they lost to Wake Forest by 10. They lost at NC State by two, and then they lost to Clemson by four five, by six. Not blowouts, uh, but also not quite good enough to be any better than 10 and three. That was a good year for them, though. Really good year. That's not recalibration of expectation on my part. That would be very hypocritical if I did that do those losses turn into wins this year? More on that in a second. Question number three, are they going to defy the blue chip ratio? One William Elliott down there in Orlando, Florida, puts out the blue chip ratio every cycle. And that thing very clearly says, you need to be above 50% on this if you plan on contending for a national championship. And that just means how many of your players are former four and five stars? Well, Florida State is going to be a very interesting case study this year. Because Florida State's number four in returning production. They are number four with that portal class they brought in. But if you look at their roster, it's only at 41% when it comes to blue chip ratio, even if you factor in all those transfers. And so the burning question on everyone's mind is, what's going to win out? Raw talent? or, Or maybe have they just developed that talent better than those recruiting rankings indicate? And a lot of returning experience, a lot of cohesiveness, and experience at the right positions. Is that all going to win out, or is the blue chip ratio history going to once again bear itself out? Clemson, they play this year, higher blue chip ratio. Likewise with LSU, Miami, and even Florida. Florida's got a higher BCR than Florida State. So, what do we say on the show all the time? Just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it can happen. There are outliers all the time. Malcolm Gladwell's made a lot of money off that book. Let's keep an eye on Florida State and see if they're one of them. What's the best position group on this team, you may ask? You could easily go defensive line. You could easily go wide receiver. Why not? It's July. Let's just go both of them. Excellent depth on that defensive line. Jared Verse came back. Uh, Fabian Lovett's back. A lot of players. They don't need to sacrifice quality. Well, they don't need to detrimentally sacrifice quality when they rotate. And that's the difference sometimes in preview mag season. You'll look at those lists and teams may go one deep across the board with real quality, high-level Power 5 athletes, but then you rotate and they rotate in a G5 line or a high-level FCS line. Not good enough. And you get worn down. And that's even before you account for injury. Well, Florida State's not that this year. So that's one reason why defensive line's up there. The other one is wide receiver. Size all over the place. They should be excellent here. Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman from Michigan State. Remember how big a story that was for a couple of weeks? Don't forget, he ended up landing at FSU. Winston Wright's there. Hakeem Williams coming in. All kind of different options. Again, all kind of size in there. And so I look very much forward to watching how that rotation shakes out. And especially down in the red zone, who ends up being that target, that go-to target? Kentron Poitier, I didn't even mention him. That's how deep they are at receiver. The breakout player on this team, who's it going to be? Our guess and the guess of most over on the Unconquered board on Knowles 24-7, Pat Payton, Patrick Payton. Defensive line, 6'5", 245. He's a redshirt sophomore this year. If you watched FSU last year, he was that guy that just poop He's kind of flashed. And he's the guy that naturally, when you see what he's capable of at his best, you then look at on all 22, and you watch entire games and you say, all he's lacking is consistency. Get a little better, set in the edge, you know, get a little better consistently on your pass rush, and he'll be an all-ACC caliber player. In fact, he was last year. He was, he was the defensive rookie of the year in the conference last year. So four-star cycle, or four-star linebacker there in the 2021 cycle, commitment. He added size this summer, spring, commitment is there in droves. The consistency, that's the one we're looking for. What about their schedule at Florida State? What do we need to know here? Well, it's front-loaded. That's what you need to know. LSU week one. Clemson week four. I look at it and I say, in terms of the playoff picture, if you can split those games, you set yourself up really well. In terms of the ACC, remember, no divisions anymore. So it's not like all of a sudden you go to Clemson and you lose, and before your bye week, you're saying, boy, we we got to go perfect the rest of the way, and we got to have Clemson lose twice, or else we're out of the conference title picture. Not anymore. Obviously, you can render that a moot point if you win both of them. Uh, Duke, starting in, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Week eight, starting in week eight, probably they're... Their toughest conference stretch of the season, it goes Duke, at at Wake Forest, at Pitt, and then Miami. And it's tough to know what those teams will be by then. But Florida State will have already been tested. They've already come through really two tough games. They got a bookend of LSU and Florida. They bookend their schedule with SEC competition. This is not an easy schedule, but it's a very workable schedule, very manageable. There is no... There's no back-to-back there where you go, oh, we'll be lucky to just split there. No, if you're talking about splitting, LSU Clemson's where you talk about splitting. That's one of the teams I'm looking most forward to watching this year. Because uh, selfishly, it's one of the teams I've pulled for to come back to the main stage for a long time. Look, we have the main stage open here, and we don't have to share it with anyone, and we're so happy. And um, we got a normal week coming up, as far as I know. Then, then next week's when it gets crazy. Next week. Is when SEC media days happen. And I don't know if I've told you this, but let me break the news to you. We're going to have a lot of head coaches on the show. And it's happening two blocks, three blocks down there. Bradley had to walk down there the other day to take pictures of power outlets. And he did just that, and we appreciate that. Uh, management just texted me and asked, how was the show? Thanks for knowing we're still in there, buddy. Management's a little under the weather tonight, so we'll give him a pass. I would disclose his ailment, but... That's a hippo violation. Hippo violation. Masculine burden. So, thank you guys so much for watching. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, for Bradley the Associate, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen.